You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello, and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, we are. We're very excited to be with you today. My name is Jacob, and I'm joined by my co-host Benji. Uh, and, and as usual, we have have a special guest. But before we get into that, I think uh, we should tell you it's kind of been a series of unfortunate events to to finally get this guest on. Because <laughs> uh, uh, just you know, to break the tension, it's it's Mr. Dennis Burr, um, a world-renowned superb card magician um, who is known for his creativity, humor. Uh, and his uniquely German character. Uh, he runs Conjuring Archive uh, and Conjuring Credits and is probably one of the most well-read magicians alive. Uh, and so, of course, we wanted to get him on the podcast. We wanted to talk to him. Um, but first of all, <laughs> the first time we tried to have Dennis on, we had like a family emergency. Uh, and so Benji and I were actually on the phone because we were talking about what was going on because uh, we're cousins. Uh, and we looked at our email and we were like, oh my gosh, we just stood up Dennis Burr and we felt so bad. <laughs> and so it came to the second time and, and Dennis, maybe you can speak a little bit better on this, but it's, you had like a, you, did you have a fall or something? What, what actually happened? Uh, I did. Yeah. It was slippery outside. And so I had a fall and went to the hospital and yeah so i couldn't make it the last time <laughs> yeah and also we messed up again to be fair it wasn't all your fault because <laughs> we we forgot the time difference as well so yeah not 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 a great look for us uh, but we're really excited to, to have dennis with us and so i thought you know we got to start with the most important questions dennis so i see that you you have a donation page for you for to buy you beer what what is your favorite beer um well i mostly drink uh, beers from Munich, so where I'm mm. living, so local beer, which okay. are usually well called Helles here, which is more like a lager type, golden mm. color, and yeah, like Augustina and Hofbräu are brands. That's what I drink most of the time. Sometimes I don't know. We also have a lot of craft beer going on, like everywhere right now. Right. So we have some local IPAs and things like that. Okay. I have to ask. Um, but I, didn't, I buy whatever I need from the donation money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, if you had to choose, you know, if you could keep one and the other one would disappear, would you rather have the German beer scene or the German magic scene? Uh, well, I don't have to choose, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> also, I don't know if you can have one without the other. Oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll choose half of the, <laughs> the ones I like and the magicians I like, and then <laughs> <laughs> put them together. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Okay, well, maybe we should get down to magic. Uh, and I, I'm sure you've had this question a lot, Dennis. But I do want to know because I, I don't know. Uh, how did this all start? How how did you actually end up getting into magic? Um, well, like most kids, I guess I, I just was interested in, in the idea of magic and magicians mm -hmm. as I was young. So there are pictures of me dressing up as a magician with aged five or something like this. But actually performing and practicing magic tricks was a bit later with like eight, maybe I got a magic set. Um, actually, it was the magic set that my mother already used when she was a child. Mm. So, Not about wow. her. <laughs> yeah, that what I got first, and then I, I got some others, and just well, that happens to to almost every child, I guess. But most stop again, and I didn't. So I just continued buying magic books and magic sets and magic tricks. And well, I did everything at first, mostly children's parties, like my own birthday parties, and then later <laughs> other birthday parties, and 
kind of pop magic, some self-working, some manipulative everything. And later I drifted towards card magic, mm. more or less as a teenager, because I I bought uh, all four volumes of Card College in the 90s. They came out earlier in German mm. than in English. Mm when I was about 15, I think, and I got all four at once, which was a huge investment back then for me. And yeah, I more or less learned everything in it and fell in love with card magic since, since then. And well, that's still the main focus. I'm interested. This is, sorry, this is completely just, <laughs> we had, we had, um, Roberto Giobi on the podcast, um, a few yes, weeks ago I've now. Seen this, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested because he talked then about like how in card college, uh, he wanted to make sure that it, the vocabulary would be really specific, that you would know exactly like what part of your finger you would have to do like a pinky break with or, um, yeah. and I'm interested because I know that German is considered to be one of the, the best languages for kind of description because it has such a huge vocabulary for when it like has words that don't exist in other languages. So I'm interested, do you, I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm guessing you've always read Card College in German, but have you seen if there's a difference? Do you think it's, I know this, this is kind of just a purely intellectual I'm, question, but. I'm not sure. I think you can be specific in every language. It's, I don't know. It also depends on, well, not only the, the words, but also the illustrations, I think. And so there are very clear line drawings in Card College and together with the text, I think. Right. That's that's just good. Of course, he has those maps of the hands in the beginning right. of every book, so you can always have a look if some part of the hand is described, what exactly it is, mm -hmm. in case you forgot. But uh, I had no problems following any of the of the words or the language. But I think, I guess, the translation is just as good. I would guess. Yeah. yeah well, it makes me wonder: um, Are there any books that are sort of written only in the German language. Um, so, so magic books that are only written in German that you feel kind of like, uh, is a, is a secret weapon, you know, cause none of us, uh, English speaking people can read it, but for you, it's like, wow, it's this incredible thing. Hofsinzer comes to mind, but are there any others? Yeah. I mean, most good ones eventually get translated. It just takes mm. a while. Like Hofsinzer, it took decades for them to get translated originally and but there are a few i would say we have uh, books from people also from switzerland that are in mm. only in german mm. like christoph bora has some books that are very popular and influential in german and they don't exist in english yet uh, in munich we have jörg alexander who is working He's one of the flicking fingers mm -hmm. who's working on an English uh, volume uh, of his work. So there are a few, but uh, I would guess that the good ones eventually mm. do get translated. Like a lot of the, the Spanish work that is not yet available mm -hmm. in English, but hopefully eventually. Yeah. Yeah, because we, when, when we spoke to um, uh, Maritz uh, Müller, who is also German, he said that when he read Hofsinzer in, in German, there's actually quite an element of, uh, I mean, if I'm remembering right, he said there's a, there's, there's a level of humor and, uh, um, I guess, yes. yeah, humor in his presentations that you kind of only pick up on if you read the German thing. Yeah. In this case, that's probably true. He has a very, well, funny way of, of, uh, well, humor and uh, the pattern is very like formal but also very mm -hmm. very uh, funny with gags so yeah some of this only works in in german the way it's it's composed i guess yeah right okay awesome well i mean i think we're, we're talking about books and we're talking about uh literature uh and so i think that leads us quite well onto our next question which is um I mean, essentially, why did you start the Conjuring Archive? Where did it all begin? Yeah, I've always loved books. So I got a lot of uh, books already as a, as a teenager. We had uh, in the 90s and 80s uh, a bookseller, Rudolf Braunmüller from Munich. I wasn't in Munich back then, but 
he had mail order, of course, and he was selling secondhand books. And I bought a lot of books from there because they are much cheaper than new books, of course. And uh, he had a good taste and knew what to recommend. So I bought a lot of books. And uh, after a while, when you have a lot of books, you, you find it difficult to relocate everything. You know, you know, ah, there was something. You mm. might even remember, like, the page, but not... <laughs> which book this page was in and yeah. something like this and so i thought an index would be good just for my own library and mm. i started writing one just on on computer files like excel sheets that are uh, cross-linked and that i did in the late 90s but uh, after a while i thought well the internet is everywhere now so it might be useful to yeah. put this online so i can access it from everywhere so eventually i did an online version that went online uh, i think in 2004 and that was the basic start to to index all the books i have and i'm still working on that <laughs> so yeah that was the beginning there are now more than 2000 books indexed and wow. Well, it's getting more and more. Mm. more. And you, you also obviously have um, conjuring credits as well. Yeah, Would... that's, um, I mean, the, the conjuring archive has just the table of contents of mm -hmm. all the books in categories. Uh, so if you are researching an idea or something like this or a certain plot, then you can can do this there, of course, and you stumble upon a lot of uh, interesting leads. But mm. if you want the essence, just like the origins of certain ideas, for that we have a different website, Conjuring Credits, and this just has the very bare bones of, of any ideas. I'm, the, the seed of this came from a file that was mostly the work of Max Maven, Hmm. and Stephen Minch and that became this website and we've expanded it with lots of articles hmm. about certain things and yeah that's uh, constantly evolving so we are updating hmm. the entries all the time and of course that's one of the good things of having it uh, like an online thing and not a hmm. printed uh, encyclopedia or whatever so we can always update it when new old information <laughs> comes up and sometimes people write us with some old reference and we can put it in and stuff like this and yeah so that's supposed to make research uh, well easier and clearer and everybody can can look it up so yeah mm -hmm. so we can honor more or less the people that invented all the stuff mm -hmm. and we can avoid publishing the same ideas over and over yeah. again <laughs> well i actually had a question about um so so if you're a let's say you're a magician right and you're working on an idea and you have the cards in front of you and you do something and it produces an effect and you go oh that's cool like i don't know if this is a, a thing like i don't know if it exists how do you kind of work backwards right because you you don't even it's hard sometimes to even put it into words what you've done so because conjuring credits is really great when you know the name of something but if you've come up with a move and you don't know if it's already been invented, you don't know if it's, but the whole point is you don't know if it's invented, so you can't really search for it by name. How would you suggest searching for it based on like the actual move itself? Yeah, you would probably go to the archive for that and not for the credits as a first step. Of course, you need some kind of uh, vocabulary. Huh? Mm. So if you do a move, you probably know, ah, that uh, is... I don't know, it's a switch or it's mm -hmm. a palm or whatever. No? So just the basic category of it is usually mm -hmm. clear. It's just not, it's not, not obvious what it does. Mm -hmm. Usually you know, mm -hmm. it does something. So you can find the category of that. And then on my website, there's, you can, you see this tree of categories. You go to cards, you go to slides, and then you see, ah, it's a false count. No, it's a mm -hmm. fourth, it's a glimpse, it's whatever. And then you can just step-by-step get to the list of hmm. references and then you have to go through it or do a keywords search in the final table or whatever so that would be the way to do it yeah, yeah. and it's actually um 
that's that's a really good answer and as it as you were talking it occurred to me as well one thing i've used conjuring credits for in the past is actually as like a creative kind of exercise so um maybe i have a an effect that i want to do okay or i have a certain method already and then I'll, I'll I'll try and like randomly find an entry on Conjuring credits. So maybe I'll like close my eyes, you know, click on one thing, scroll down, click on another until it takes me to a certain move. You know, maybe it's this really obscure move or this obscure principle. And then once I have that principle, then I look back at the effect. I go, oh, how could these like work together or the method I already have? And even if you, even if you don't end up doing anything with it, it's quite a fun game to play. And, and I think that's another maybe overlooked, un, not really, people don't talk about that, but that's another benefit of having all those principles yeah. right there is that you can get inspiration from them yeah it, i guess as a creative exercise so you know like the trick brain by fitzky mm -hmm. where you just say well i have a prop and then from another list i take an effect right. and from another mm -hmm. list i take that and then i have an elephant changes color or whatever and then <laughs> well you can generate effects huh? of course the the quality of the effect is usually low because mm -hmm. it's randomly generated but as an exercise and maybe you get lucky <laughs> right <laughs> there's enough variations you should land on a good one <laughs> so i'm interested that must be a lot of work um <laughs> how did i mean obviously you said you started on your own computer and everything and then you had some it contributions from Max work, yeah, almost 20 <laughs> years now for this <laughs> right oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so I mean, is that like a full-time job for you? Um, like, how how do you do all of well, it? Because it's, it's, it's so expansive. Uh, yeah, it's. I wish it were, were a full-time job, but of course it <laughs> only costs money. It doesn't make any. So <laughs> I have to pay for the books and the website. But uh, yeah, I have some helpers, but not many. It's mostly Lorenz Scheer from Switzerland. A friend who enters a lot of content, he hundreds of books by now from the 2,300 that are in there now. Wow. Um, and Harapan Ong from Singapore, oh, yeah. he also entered a few dozen books. And those are the two that continue helping putting content in this. A few others have maybe put one or two publication in there, but most stopped then because I don't know, they underestimated the work or whatever. Right. And so I sometimes get people offering uh, to help, but some never start and most, and if they do, they, they stop pretty early. So, so it's, <laughs> it takes a while to get used to, to the system and to categorizing everything and things like that. But yeah, so. I've, I mostly do it myself with uh, Lorenz and sometimes Harapang and slowly it, it's growing. I cannot really make it public like uh, like everybody could enter anything mm. because then it would pretty soon get unusable, I think, because some people have maybe an agenda and put fake credits or on mm. their own stuff in a weird context and things like that. Or just they don't have the knowledge to to connect the dots where where it is necessary and put things in the right category. So right. it has to be hand selected people. Well, I I guess uh, thanks. I mean, on, on behalf of the magic uh, community, or at least the people, our own audience, um, it's uh, we hugely, hugely, hugely appreciate all the work you do on it, um, and I guess you have a donation page, right? If any of people listening want to want to support the the conjuring archive is there a link they can go to yeah i mean they can just go to the faq page mm -hmm. and there there's a donation button there i interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website thedailymagician.com if you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content just like this podcast please head over there and sign up now that's thedailymagician.com we promise that we won't disappoint you. Yeah, that's where I saw the pretzel and beer the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> that, so that, I mean, I, I'm interested then. You, so when it comes to archiving a book, what's like the process for that? So, I mean, do you sit down and read the whole thing and then go over? I mean, I, I'm just interested, like, what does it look like when you say, okay, I'm going to add a new book to the country Archive? It's not always the same. Uh... 
sometimes when it's like a, a thin book or just a lecture notes or something, mm -hmm. I can read it and enter it at the same time. So I just open it and start reading it and putting the content in there. Sometimes it makes more sense just to read the book first and then enter it. So it's not always the same. And if it's a magazine that has, I don't know, maybe hundreds or thousands of pages, then you just start it and do maybe a few issues and then you, you stop sometimes for many months until you are motivated to continue on this again. <laughs> so there are some unfinished magazines in the in the database that are continued from while to while, from time to time. So, yeah, but it's not a fixed process. Also, there's no really list. <clears throat> Everything that is not in the archive is on the to-do list, more or less, but there's not a big priority right now because the most of the important things are already in there. So sometimes I just pull out a book Uh, off the shelf and put it in or sometimes it's just a book that I, I get new and read it anyway and I put it in so anything more or less uh, mm -hmm. sometimes people send me like just a specific credit they say oh you're missing a collector's effect which is in Genie in this year but that's not how content is entered so I never put any specific reference in there so when this year of Genie will be indexed then it will appear in the database but It's never like right. only two references of a book. It's the whole book or nothing. Yeah. In your experience, because um, you've done this for so many books, right? And because you're like, okay, so, right, this book has not been uh, indexed. So let me let me go index it. Have you actually kind of like stumbled on any kind of hidden gems? So books that not many people are aware of, but because you, I mean, just because you had to know them in order to index them, you've been like oh wow this is a really cool find yes that happens uh, sometimes good ideas that mm -hmm. are not well known and also often like uh, like references that are unknown for established ideas so new mm -hmm. credits more or less and so sometimes those can be used in on the credits page Uh, to put in the article of something. So like two years ago or one and a half years ago, I put in a German magic magazine from around 1900, which ran for 10 years. And I found a few credits in there that wow. I wasn't aware of that things are that old or already established at that point. So a few of those references made it into credits articles. So that happens uh, a lot. Uh, I don't have a good list really for myself of all the good things. I have like a little list where I sometimes put titles and links, but I hardly look at it enough So because mm -hmm. I usually think, oh, let's not look at those old things. Let's put some new books in there. So I'm always working on the next uh, book to, to archive instead of mm -hmm. looking at the old stuff I already found. So yeah, maybe in the future. Well, You're obviously, um, as we've established for people listening, probably the kind of go-to authority in terms of archive in magic and 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 uh, understanding like a lot of the past in magic. But we we also shouldn't uh, ignore the fact that you're also really a creative guy and like innovative and and you come up with new ideas. So you kind of have this dichotomy where you spend a lot of your your time archiving old magic, but a lot of time creating really new, innovative, exciting magic. Um, so maybe we could move into that. I wanted to ask you um, if you have any kind of a process when you when you create new ideas. Because um, I, I remember reading in, in Pitt Harling's book about when you two came up with the idea for uh, the quartet principle, and it seemed to me like it was quite a uh, I don't know. It was just it just occurred to you, you know. But I wondered if there was more to it than that, and if you had any kind of a process behind the ingenuity. Um, not not really. No, I don't ever sit down and say I want to come up with a trick or something like this. It's almost always by by accident or mm. necessity or whatever. Yeah. So I might have, I don't know, I have to put together a show and then I'm missing some effect and then I think, oh, let's do maybe a traveling cards across effect and then I go through them and try to find something and maybe make up my own. So it's always more or less by 
accident or or improvements of established things. Mm, yeah, so I don't really have any process to come up with things. It's usually based on other things, and then mm. I try to well make it fit. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I guess even the fact though that you know you come in with them by accident or there's like problems that come up that you that you solve and then in solving you come up with a new idea i guess the thing to, to pay attention to is that you're actually doing magic right like you don't come across the problems by not doing it you know you're, you're you're doing it a lot and because you're doing it a lot there's so much exposure to material that like you yeah. said accidents or these problems can happen and that is quite a big part of it, i think and you do spend it, a lot of time it is i mean there are different ways to enjoy a magic you don't have to be a performer of course uh not even to come up with tricks but usually if you don't perform and come up with tricks they fall into different categories mm -hmm. <laughs> that might be interesting but not performable but if you actually want to be a performer and want to become good the only way is to perform as much as you can i think so that's the way to to get any good and to come up with tricks that work in the real world doing them right I'm interested as well, like someone that has read uh, so much, <laughs> is it hard to be, I'm sure it is, right? This is an obvious question, but how often are you fooled now? Does it happen very often? I'm sure you can like, well, that looks like that principle and because you've read yeah. so much at this point, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I archived no. that the other day. It doesn't uh, happen a lot now. It's nice when it does, huh? when there's mm -hmm. something that you, you, you don't know how it's done. But it doesn't happen a lot, and often it's only like a, a short period of time that you mm. are fooled. That only like ten seconds later you are thinking back right. and think, ah, that must have been it. I missed it or whatever. So being completely fooled by anything doesn't happen a lot, unfortunately. But yeah, it can happen sometimes, and then it's it's a nice feeling because of course it reminds you not hopefully. The lay people are feeling when you mm. do me a check. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, actually, getting down to the specifics of something that is incredibly fooling to me, or rather, just incredibly impressive. Um, I had to talk about it when we had you on because I'm just blown away by it. Um, your table pharaoh. How how long did you practice that, and <laughs> how did you even begin to make that a thing? <laughs> Well, I, first I came across a mention of it, I think, when I was reading those Cut College books uh, mm. when I first got them as a teenager right. because uh, Roberto doesn't explain the table pharaoh, but when he is explaining the diagonal palm shift from uh, Erdnase, he in the introduction he says, ah, if he had uh, three wishes, technique-wise, then the palm shift would be one of them and the others, the table pharaoh and the bottom deal. And that's when I first thought, oh, so the table pharaoh must be something interesting. And later I came across it in expert card technique um, where Charlie Miller's method is explained. And that's when I started working on it. And there is not too much published on it. There are some later things by Marlo, Martin Nash, and now downloads by Jason England and so on. But yeah, I just found it an interesting challenge. And yeah. I didn't say I, I mastered it yet, so I'm just continuing practicing it. I, I don't use it like in, in the theater shows I do or so because it's, uh, it just isn't reliable enough for me. I, I would only use it maybe if it... It doesn't matter if it's a perfect in or out pharaoh, but just, right. I don't know, red and black cards alternating or you get a certain set of cards uh, mixed and that's how it's mostly used anyway, because it just, it can fail. Huh? And that's of course not so good. And in the hands pharaohs <laughs> are pretty, pretty safe for me. So I have not a lot of problems with those, but yeah, the table pharaoh is just, uh, continues to be an interesting challenge. So from time to time, I yeah. just work on it for a little bit and then well i don't really use it in performance <laughs> so i i don't practice it all the time only when i i feel like doing it <laughs> yeah how i i because the pharaoh itself is so difficult i mean just like how long did it take you to get to the point where you, 
you actually got it down? I mean, how much practice was that? Uh, the you mean the in the hands pharaoh or no, the just the, yeah, the table pharaoh. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably a few months or so. It depends yeah. on uh, on many factors. You know, the the deck itself, of course. Some decks work mm. better than others. Then it depends on if you use the deck face right. up and face down or face down, depending on from which direction the blades cut the cards. So you have those traditionally cut cards now, which make it easier because they are cut from the bottom up. And so those are all factors that you don't really know in the beginning, especially when I started learning it. So you're just trying yeah. to follow the written instructions. And sometimes then they kind of pharaoh and you think, ah, oh, I must have done something right. And then you repeat and repeat until you get it. And then, of course... Cutting uh, in the center is another big problem because right. it's, it's it's hard to cut a table deck exactly in half. So yeah, there's this video of Ed Marlow doing eight table pharaohs on one of his uh, released now DVDs, I guess, and he always cuts them not on the table, but he kind of sets it on on the side so the deck stands up and then he cuts them and puts them back down for the pharaoh. So yeah, that's just well more or less practicing and getting the feel for the center. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all those points make it uh, difficult and you never know if you open a new deck if it would be very good for table pharaoh or not unless you try. What is the... Um... I mean, if if the answer is table feral, um, that's yeah, that's fine. But is is there a move that's like what is the move that has been the most challenging for you that you've just thrown the most time at, and it's been the most like personally satisfying to nail? Uh, the table feral is certainly in the, in this league, but also fall stealing techniques. I think are something that you constantly have to work on somehow even if you you think ah now i got it down and it just works very well for a week then you might think about some finger position and then it doesn't work anymore for you so it is at least for me something that i constantly have to change little positions and say ah now now i'm happy again and then maybe two weeks later later i'm not so, and that's for all false dealing techniques, more or less. So those are constant work in progress. Now, I don't use um, shifts a lot, only at least the, the classic pass. I, I use it more or less only in actual close-up situations where I have more control about where people are looking. <laughs> But mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm using more, I don't know, shifts that uh, like like spread passes and so on that have very controlled, that you can do more slowly, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Makes sense. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. I, I have actually, I visited Munich and so it's a lovely city. So you, you, you've talked about um, stage performance um, and theater performance. Do you... Obviously, right now with COVID, things are difficult. But uh, do do you have like a regular spot somewhere where people can go see you? Are you there in Munich or? Um... Yeah, in Munich there's a, a close-up theater, and that's been for I don't know ten years or more. Um, it's called the Alexander Christ Theater. Alexander Christ is uh, one of the two owners of the theater, and yeah, it's been closed for almost a year now, of course. But hopefully, it uh, makes it through the right. pandemic and can reopen but that's where i i have shows it seats like 80 people and they are like around a, a table mm-hmm. and raked so they, they are looking down on the table and the first row is immediately at the table the first nine people and uh, so you can do great close-up magic there and i'm doing two shows there and they are about two hours each and only card tricks so it's a lot of card magic and uh, that's where i do most public shows we have uh, 
quite a few close-up theaters in, in Germany. And so I sometimes do the show in different uh, cities. There's a great one by Stefan Kirschbaum called the Wunder Manufaktur in, in Nürnberg. Um, there's a nice theater um, in, in Hamburg and other cities. So I sometimes do the show in other uh, cities, but since I'm not a full-time professional, I don't really uh, seek it a lot to, to travel around and do theater shows everywhere. So mostly in Munich, where it is convenient for me. Did you, sorry, did you say you, so you, you travel and, and, and do a lot of shows, but you don't consider yourself like a full-time professional? Yeah, I, I, I don't travel too much. I mean, only occasionally because I'm, I, I never did uh, magic as the only source of income. Mm. So yeah, I, I studied mathematics at university and I am also working as a computer programmer. Mm. And so magic was always like a side a job, which now is pretty uh, convenient right. <laughs> now that there are no jobs. Uh, yeah, so I don't depend as much on the magic income. So that's in this uh, situation right now, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, no, I didn't know that either. No, that's man. I, I guess it's, it's useful, right? Like, do, do you see like an overlap in terms of the skills you use as a, as a programmer, you know, solving problems and like, uh, assembling different methods and parts and, you know, how much, how much of those skills have been crossover between uh, programming and, and magic? Hmm, I don't, uh, I don't know. It's always a thing when you have any other like occupation than magic, you can always make connections and say, ah, that's similar to, to, to magic or there's a connection or you can learn this and that. But it's usually a bit of a forced comparison. <laughs> if you do two things and you do them uh, a lot, then there are connections every time. So, yeah, but of course, like problem solving and uh, is certainly a, a part of it, finding elegant solutions, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but they are not restricted to like programming and, and magic. Right. That's interesting because Andy Gladwin was also a programmer before. So that's kind of like an interesting thing that both of you, well, I mean, you still obviously not. Yeah, he, he, yeah, you both still program. So that's an interesting thing that uh, both of you are programmers or both of you are programmers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, talking of other hobbies, uh, I see that you've, you've got, you're a bit of a baker. Uh, I see that you, you like to make your, I, don't, I always feel like, I don't know, we say like macaroons in England, but then it's like macaron in French. So, I mean, either way, I also seen that you've made croissants. Uh, you got to tell me, I mean, is there a crossover there? <laughs> Do you think that being a good baker makes you a good magician? Uh, I don't, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I, I think it makes you a good baker. Uh, I, just, I just like, always liked eating cakes and pastries, so I, I started making them. That's uh, more or less it, and I, I'm I'm enjoying that. I mean, uh, you have the the Great British Bake Off in in England, which is yes, a, we do a big thing there. Huh? That yeah. we also have yeah. a German version of that. Oh, really? uh, so I guess there's a lot of baking happening in your country as well. But as <laughs> compared to magic, it's I guess the same as with any other things. You can say, oh, there's I don't know the the importance of taste uh, compared to the look or the mm. classics and variations and modern interpretations and can yeah. again make a lot of connections but i think if you are not interested in both things to some extent then it's just those types of articles that uh, you can read a lot mm. sometimes are not very interesting yeah. i briefly pause this podcast to give a shout out to the daily magician tapes collection this is a growing collection of exclusive audio training and interviews with some of the world's best, including the magician that you're listening to right now. If you'd like to find out more about the Daily Magician tapes, head over to thedailymagician.com slash tapes. That's thedailymagician.com slash tapes. We'll see you there. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if 
<laughs> I can I can almost see like uh the next project you have up your sleeve is like the baking archive, you know. It's just every <laughs> Maybe I open my baking shop. Yeah, yeah I'm ready for it. <laughs> Recipecredits.com. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, we've talked a lot about other people's books. Uh, we've talked randomly about baking. Uh, but I, I wanted to know um, about a little bit more about your books. Um, so would you be able to shout them out for anyone that, you know, just give us a summary of the books that you've written and why people should read them? Um, well, it's uh, three books now, three volumes of the series called Handcrafted Card Magic. And the first came out in 2007 and the last about two years ago. So, yeah, they just contain card magic that I came up with. And actually most of it can be seen in one of the shows in the theater I'm doing here. So that's where a lot evolved until it uh, got into the books. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a wild mix, more or less, the content. Some some things are, I don't know, maybe stack-based, some are slight-heavy, and some are self-working, some are gaffed. So it's kind of everything. I, I like all types of methods for card magic. So it's all in there. Awesome. Yeah, no, they're, they're very, uh, there's a kind of books where um, the prose, uh, what's the right way to say? It? It's like a, one of those where like professionals, you know, between themselves, they'll be like, they just know, you know, it's like one of those books you just have to, um, you see a lot of like really, really good magicians recommend it, you know? And and that's, I think like, the best kind of book, because often you get books that are really good and everyone's recommending them. But when you get books where it's like the professionals are recommending them, then you know they're good. And, and Dennis is uh, mm -hmm. easily on that level. Um, are they still available? Can, can people um, still- They are, yeah. I mean, I sell them on my website and I think Vanishing Inc. also uh, sells them. And uh, I did the, the DVDs with um, uh, Vanishing Ink, where a lot of the material can also be seen. We, for this, we used the theater in Munich. So when you have those DVDs on the first one, you just get a 70-minute show in this theater. So you kind of get the feel how, how all the tricks look in, in performance or in a theater setting. Mm. And uh, you also see the theater, which is very nice. Huh? Mm. Your um, one question I'd been uh, wanting to ask you is that, so your kind of uh, persona, you know, if you watch your uh, performances um, on YouTube or you know anywhere else, it's uh, you actually <laughs> you're really really funny. You know, when I watch, like you make me laugh a lot um, in terms of the magic you do, and. I was just wondering, was that like always like a natural thing or did you think, okay, like maybe I want to stand out from other magicians, like maybe, especially maybe in Germany, if that's not quite so common, um, did you like purposely build it around that or was that just always the way you like to do magic? Um, it's, it more or less evolved. So I didn't really, uh, try to, to invent a character or something. So it more or less, uh, became this uh, kind of persona by by itself. So I always, I have a certain type of uh, jokes that I like, huh? more a bit try and uh, yeah, so that's a lot uh, of what I I tried to uh, to put in the performances. I, I try to avoid jokes that other people do, so, or classic jokes, even some of them are not, not bad, of course, but I kind of like to do my own, my own uh, gags. So, yeah. So over time, uh, it got what it is now. Yeah. yeah, like it. And so is that kind of like a trial and error thing of like seeing what lands and what doesn't land with based on audiences? Um, it is, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And of course, when you, when you try it again and again, you get 
the timing down and you know when to say what joke and some of the jokes are more for me than the audience (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes of course i have to throw jokes out but if i like them they they are staying in no matter if anybody laughs or not (laughs) but but yeah that's uh yeah it's one of those things sometimes you are not happy yourself with a performance maybe and everybody else is because just maybe a little line didn't land the way it should or there was the break or the a little pause was off and things like this set you up after a while i guess the more details you put in in right. the performance the, the more things can go wrong in the on this level but yeah yeah, I'm interested. Um, just uh, we we have like one big final question before we close up. But just just before that, um, I wanted to ask you about the the German magic scene because um, I'm I'm kind of interested. Um, it seems like I lived in France for two years and it was pretty much like non-existent there, at least from from what I found. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it seems like when you go into countries like Spain and then even like Germany, um, magic is just like. A lot bigger and obviously we've had amazing magicians that have come out of germany um including yourself and i always think of people like pitt hartling um so um i'm wondering kind of is magic a bigger thing in germany what, what does the ma- german magic scene look like um it it does depend a bit on where you are i think like right. in france when you are in paris i think that's quite a magic scene but in other cities you might uh, get less lucky yeah. But in in Germany, of course, we have the, the magic circle mm. and it's organized in different cities, you know, like like in most clubs in our countries as well. And they have regular meetings and that's where some of the magic scenes uh, scene happens. And uh, in Munich, there are two uh, clubs of this circle, but I'm actually not going to either <laughs> meetings. Uh, <laughs> I have just a group of friends that I meet with regularly, so usually once a month. So yeah, it's mostly private meetings like that that are uh, like the the regular magic scene thing. And of course, if you are only visiting, you need to have some kind of connection to to get to these type of things but i just wasn't well enough connected in france that's my issue don't have enough friends (laughs) maybe yeah i don't know not yet (laughs) but yeah of course there are public shows and those are getting more now with all the close-up theaters i hope they are getting more again in a a year or so but uh, of course that's where you can sometimes meet magicians and connect and at conventions we have the 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 big convention in Germany is usually every third year, the year before FISN, to, to get all the competition acts ready for FISN. Mm. And there are smaller conventions and smaller competitions in between. Yeah. So, yeah, things are, are happening. There are also like specialty conventions on maybe mentalism focus, or there's the card workshop, which is only for, well, invitation only for German magicians. So, yeah, but yeah, there are things uh, happening. And of course you have to pick and choose the gatherings depending on what you like, but I guess mm-hmm. that's in every country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so Dennis, uh, I guess to, to close this podcast out, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, one final question for you is uh we talked a little bit earlier about why you initially you know why you got into magic in the first place but you would just love to know like why what is it that makes you stay in magic like what um we often talk about it in terms of meaning like uh what makes magic uh, meaningful to you and and makes you want to spend your time uh focusing your energy on on solving you know magic problems and coming up with effects and and even doing projects like the the conjuring archive which as we know as you said is a, a huge amount of work and um, I'd love to know where all that kind of drive for it comes from. Um, it's mostly that I that I enjoy it. So it's, <laughs> it's right. pretty simple as that. Yeah. I have in in the back of 
uh, one of the books, I'm quoting a, a pianist. I'm quoting a pianist in every book in the back, actually. It's kind of a, a theme in the in the books. But one of them is uh, Arkady Volodos, which is one of the, the best living pianists right now. And he had an interview that I, I saw where he was asked more or less that question, why, why did he choose uh, the piano and what's, what's about it that maybe other instruments or things cannot provide. And then he, he answers more in one sentence, well, I fell in love with the instrument, full stop. Yeah. So that's it. And it's more or less the same with magic for me i just i just like it i just enjoy it and i'm not really questioning any motive so i'm not comparing it to other things i could do i like spending time with it and the good thing is that it's so well so versatile you know maybe uh, if you don't enjoy reading books for a while well then you can watch performances or perform yourself or study other things in magic or practice certain tricks so it's it's never boring there's always something to do right well i think that's as good as answer as every i, I re- as any i was thinking about my uh my wife because she uh is a composer and loves to play piano and i was trying to i was yeah. thinking about that. if i asked her that question why do you play piano uh, I think what you said would be the same thing, right? Well, yeah. of course, you right. often hear like answers, maybe, oh, I want to make people feel the wonder of whatever, but, or see the faces when they react, but uh, I don't know, it's, that's part of like why it. I love it, maybe, but that's not my ultimate goal. <laughs> so, Right. More about the journey than the destination, maybe, is how you'd say that, so. Oh, uh, I guess it is. Mm. Well, that's a great way to end it. I um, really appreciate you coming on, Dennis. Uh, very illuminating. Learned a lot Thanks about uh, you and Joe Magazine, uh, Conjuring Archive. For people listening, like we said, you can go to uh, uh, it's conjuringarchive.com, right? That's, that's the website. Yes. And uh, feel free to leave donations or just browse the uh, catalog. It's, you can get lost in there <laughs> for a yeah. while. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. Unless anyone, uh, you have anything else, Jacob? No, I think I think that's good. Unless, um, I mean, just is there anything else that you'd want to shout out, Dennis, before we close up, or are you you're satisfied? Uh, I no, I think that's it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, we'll close out on that. Thanks everyone so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Dennis. It's been a pleasure to uh, be with my co-host as well, Benji. So. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for for listening, and we will see you next time.